I want you to take God's holy and precious word as we continue our series in the book of Psalms, Psalms that anchor the soul. Last Sunday we talked about the psalm that is the soul of a nation, a nation who seeks the righteousness of God. And this morning we want to look at the cries from the heart. We ought to cry these words out before the Lord in this election season that we're in and in every day of our life. Someone said that if you want to be, if you want to be wise, read the book of Proverbs. But if you want to be holy, read the book of Psalms. And in Psalm 125, there's five short verses. And here the psalmist <clears throat> ushers forth the cry of his heart. And two huge truths leap up from these few verses of Scripture that call upon us to cry the same before the Lord our God. I want you to look beginning in verse 1 of Psalm 125. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds His people from this time forth and forever. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest in the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous reach out their hands to iniquity. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good and to those who are upright in their hearts, as for such as, us, as, such as turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead them away with the workers of iniquity. May God add His blessing to the reading of His holy and precious Word. The two things that we want to think about is peace and security that the psalmist is setting before us. And let me illustrate it this way. There could very well be a guy in our midst, a man in our midst, a father in our midst, just a man in ordinary and he's laying down at night and he's ready to just fall off to sleep and he's in the comfort of his home and more so in the comfort of his bed. It's quiet and peaceful and he's rather content. But then all of a sudden that peaceful bliss is interrupted by an anxious voice of his wife that might say something like, Honey, are you sure that the doors are locked? Now you may think that what she is saying is she's going to go check. But in a kind way, I see some guys right now squirming. Now you may think that you can respond, guys, by saying, I don't know whether that door is locked or not. You may think that she's going to leave it alone at that if you just say, I don't know. But that I don't know is usually followed up by, well, will you go and check? Now you could, you could, guys, you could be really bold at this particular moment. And you could say something like, 
why don't you go check? But that response will usually be met by another response by her that says something like, because I'm scared. But guys, what we've got to always remember is this. Our wife's desire for peace and security is stronger than our desire to stay comfortable in that bed. And we got to get up and we got to go check just to make sure. Well, Psalm 125 is setting before us that we need to seek these two great things, peace and security. And we need to be very careful that we do not seek those two things in the wrong place. We've got to be very careful that we don't try to find peace and security in something that cannot give us that peace nor that security. So I want to draw your attention, first of all, to an intimidating phrase that is mentioned in verse 1. So let's go back and see the intimidating phrase that the psalmist gives us. Look what he says. Those who trust in the Lord. Now notice the word is capitalized. This is not the name Elohim. This is not the name Adonai. This is the name Yahweh. This is the name Jehovah. This is the name of covenant God who is in relationship by covenant with His people. Those who trust. It takes trust to enter into that covenant with God. We trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. We don't depend on the fact that our mom and our dad is a Christian, but that you and I individually on our own can say that we trust in the Lord. And notice what he says, we're like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved but abides forever. The intimidating phrase is, the believer is to be immovable. The believer is to be steadfast. The believer is to be like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved. Benjamin Franklin one time said that all mankind can be divided into three classes. The immovable, the movable, and those that are moving. So find out which group you're in right now. And think about whether or not you can say that you're immovable because of who it is that you believe in who gives the security to your soul and the peace of your heart. Sometimes the truth of God's Word can be a divider. When Jesus came into the world, He one time said that He has not come to bring peace but a sword. And sometimes the truth of God's Word will cut. It will cut to clean something away. Sometimes it will cut to condemn something or condone something. And so we have the Word of God sometimes dividing. But then sometimes the Word of God, as we read it, without stammer, without stutter, the Word of God can irritate us. Because Jesus may say, Be thou holy as I am holy saith the Lord. He may say, deny yourself, take up the cross and follow me. And it may be irritating to know the demand of that word upon our life. But it is there because the word of God remains. It is unchangeable. It is uncompromising. 
It is steadfast and it is sure. And to violate the Word of God in your life is to invite destruction. It is to invite the destroying, those things that we seek the most. We want joy. But the Bible says the joy of the Lord is our strength. We want peace. But the Bible says God gives us peace that will guard our heart and mind through Jesus Christ. We want security. And we know the Word says that we can do all things through Him who strengthens us. We've got to be careful where we go to find that peace, that peace and that joy and that security. It's so easy to fold under the pressures of our world. As Paul says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might be able to prove that good and acceptable and perfect will of God for your life. That you can know it. You can experience it. It's easy to fall victim of a lie or a compromise or to the tempter who is seeking to tear down and destroy. Because Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundant. But the thief comes but for to kill and steal and destroy. Do you feel like you are an immovable person? Do you feel like that you can say that I am numbered among those that trust the Lord and that I am like Mount Zion which cannot be moved? Now this notion of being immovable should fascinate us, should motivate us. It should call us. Let's put another verse of Scripture on the screen. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 58, listen to what Paul says. Therefore, my beloved brethren. Who's he, who's he talking to? Therefore, my beloved brethren be. And the verb there is in continuous tense. This is not something that we pick up casually and set aside when we want to. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable. There's the word. Always abounding in the work of the Lord knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. We can rest in Him. And just like Paul reminds us in the first part of that verse, it seems to be the same when we go back to Psalm 125 in verse 1. Because all of us, every single one of us, every one of us, God has created us to the place where that we have a desire for Him. Pascal said, we were all created with a God-shaped vacuum. Now, I don't understand all of what he may have meant by a statement like that. Because if there is a vacuum, that means there's pressure on the inside. And if you uncap it, then something's going to be sucked in because you've uh, given a pathway for that pressure to be drawing upon something. So if he's talking about there is something within us that's drawing, we want to desire that which is holy, righteous, and pure. And that we've got to be careful that we fill our lives with that which is honorable and holy and pure and righteous. And then it was Augustine that said, Our hearts are restless until they find rest in God. Now that I can certainly understand. That there is a sense of restlessness in our world. 
And everywhere the world is going is trying to find a sense of solace, a sense of peace, a sense of rest. But there's only one rest that is lasting and true that will never fade away. Jesus said, come, come unto me, all of you who labor, everybody. He doesn't leave anyone out. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. And you will, you will, he said, find rest for your soul. So we must be very careful that we don't jump on a, an experience thinking that it's going to give us peace. It will only cause friction if it doesn't come from the Lord. So in the midst of no matter what trial comes, no matter what trouble comes, there is one who's walking on top of that trial, on top of that trouble, and that's the Lord Jesus. And he can say to us in the midst of our deepest trials and most difficult storms, he can say, be of good cheer. It is I, be not afraid. Amazing that he could say that. But it's the one saying it that makes all the difference in the world. I could say, be of good cheer. I could say, don't be afraid. And it might not make any difference at all to anyone. But when Jesus says that, it changes everything. Now let's go back and notice a second thing. We move away from the intimidating phrase to think that we're immovable because we trust in the Lord. But in verse 2 of Psalm 125, he says, As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forever. Now the first verse is dealing with you being immovable. The next one is reminding us that God surrounds us. Now this psalm that we're reading from, 125, is known as one of the ascent psalms of the children of Israel. And I know you know that a psalm is a song that the children of Israel would sing in their worship. And they would make their way to Jerusalem three times a year to celebrate their annual feast. And as they came near to the city of Jerusalem, they would be led by those that were leading in the Psalms. They would be led to sing some of the ascent Psalms. And this is one of them. And so as they're making their way up Mount Zion, as they're making their way up to Jerusalem, they're singing Psalm 125. And they're, they're reminding themselves as they're moving up, they're immovable because they trust the Lord. But then all of a sudden they see the mountains. And they're reminded that as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds His people. God has got us on every side. Jesus said, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. It doesn't matter whether you're going up the steepest face of the mountain of problem or whether or not it's a gradual incline and you're making your way up. He surrounds us as the mountain surrounds His people. He will never forsake us. He is always there. And you remember the poem of the footprints just to remind us that in the times we thought we were alone and saw one print, but it was His because He was carrying us. And He reminds us that He's a mountain. And as Israel came to this moment of worship, 
It's all designed like an object lesson for them to have the kind of faith, the faith that reminds them in the one they trust in. See, it's not a matter of having big faith and walking on thin ice. It's a matter of having God moving us to the truth that sets us free. See, the issue is not about me, but about Him. This, I think verse 2 is telling us that God is faithful. God is faithful. And He puts His name to the test that He will surround His people and that He will be right there with them. In the book of Ephesians chapter 6, from out of that passage of Scripture that deals with the armor of the children of God, Paul says in chapter 6, verse 16, Above all, above all, you know the pieces of the armor that he talks about in that chapter, don't you? You know from the helmet of salvation to the feet sod in the preparation of the gospel. But here in verse 16, he says, Above all, above all those pieces, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. How we need to have that shield in hand and how we need to know that He's got a hold of our heart and we can trust in Him. Keep our eyes on Jesus and keep our hands on the shield of faith, which is what? The Word of God. But now these two things, number one, being immovable, and number two, seeing the faithfulness of God as a mountain surrounding Jerusalem, brings us to a rather special moment back in Psalm 125 as we begin to wrap it up. Look, if you will, at verse 3, because the application of what we've been talking about is sometimes very difficult, and here's why. Here's why it's hard in the world in which we live. Because as long as the world is the way it is and it is fallen, godliness is going to be looked upon as a negative thing by the world, but not by you and I. But look at this in verse 3. For the scepter of righteousness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous reach out their hands to iniquity. Now, when you study this psalm through and get all the background behind it, you begin to realize that this psalm of ascent originated because of what happened under Ezra and Nehemiah. And you know what that is. Under Ezra and Nehemiah, the two greatest building projects to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem occurred, the greatest being under Nehemiah. And this psalm was a very special song that the children of Israel would use as they were rebuilding and making the walls right and doing all the work that they were doing. But now notice that little phrase, the scepter of wickedness was in the land. That's an unusual title for something. The scepter of wickedness. And I think the writer is reminding us that the land of the day in which this psalm is inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, the land was dominated by wickedness. The land was dominated by evil workers. Now just take the word scepter, and you know it's a rod that can be held in the hand. And it may have some ornamental thing on the top of it, I don't know. 
what all of them looked like, but it was a scepter. But now this one is designated as a scepter of wickedness. It's referring to an instrument of war, an instrument of evil, a rod that brings forth wicked things, a symbol of domination. And we're living in a day in which there is still yet a scepter of wickedness that is in our world. But think for just a moment that in the day of Nehemiah, the day of Ezra, and what this scepter of wickedness represented. Because the nation of Israel had made their way back from Babylonian captivity under Nehemiah. And the, the king of Persia was footing the bill to get the children of Israel back into their land. And it was God behind it all. But as they made their way back into the land, there was a scepter of wickedness in the land. The rulers were wicked and evil. And this scepter of wickedness was bringing the experience upon the children of Israel to where that they were not allowed to keep their traditions. Their traditions that come out of the Levitical law and from the Old Testament and the Torah and the writing of Moses, they were under opposition to try to do all of their traditions because of the scepter of wickedness. The education of their children was coming under scrutiny in that day because of the scepter of wickedness that had arisen in the land while they were away in captivity, but now trying to come back and etch out a new life in the land of promise. Their borders were now unguarded because of foreign power was in its place. But not only that, they didn't have any kind of protection force to help them in the midst of these foreigners that handled that scepter of wickedness. It was in control of the media of that day. It was in control of the marketplace of that day. And all of those things sound uncannily familiar to what we're going through in our day. Do we feel like that there is a scepter of wickedness in our land today when we think about it? 1 John chapter 5, verse 19 says, We know that we're of God. And we should be able to say that. We know, and the word know there is the most personal understanding of knowledge. We know that we are of God but we also know that the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. And the wicked one is using that scepter like a roaring lion, like an angel of light to deceive. And in Nehemiah's day, the threat and the conditions were so bad, so bad. Do you know how they had to rebuild the city, the walls and the streets? Well, let's look at Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 17. It's on the screen. Right out of the book, right out of this time. Those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked at construction and with the other held a weapon. Because the scepter of wickedness could come upon them at any moment and try to stop the work of God on the wall and the city of Jerusalem that was happening in that day. They had, they had tools in one hand to accomplish working for God. But in the other hand, they had to have a tool to protect, 
because of the enemy and what the enemy would do. And I think Jesus puts it in this light. In Matthew 13 and verse 30, Jesus said that there's going to be wheat that grows up with, I mean tares that grow up with the wheat. In verse 30, Jesus said, Let both grow together until the harvest. And at that time, the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, First gather together the tares and bind them in bundles and burn them with fire, but gather the wheat into my barns. Sounds similar, doesn't it? To the last part of our psalm. So let's look at those last two verses in closing. Psalm 125, verses 4 and 5. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good and to those who are upright in their hearts. As for such as turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord shall lead them away with the workers of iniquity. You know these two verses are actually a prayer. Look carefully again at verse 4. Do good, O Lord. And he addresses God in that covenant name. Do good, O Lord. He's prayerfully speaking to his Father. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good and to those who are upright in their hearts. He's praying because he realizes that God is in control. That we're not in control, but he is. And it rests on those who put their trust in him. So as we step into a moment of invitation, can you say this morning that you're immovable, that you're steadfast, that you have put your trust in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? I bid you this morning through the power of the Spirit of God and the Word of the Gospel today to trust in Jesus. Because today is the day of salvation. Behold, right now is the accepted time. Put your trust in Him. Are you tired of being shifted here and moved there? Changing winds, change your direction too many times? You need to come to the one who can cease the winds and calm the waves and bring the storm to an end and allow you to experience His peace that will keep your heart and mind in Him. What about your faith? Remind yourself of that shield of faith that you have in the Word of God. And realize that the Lord is surrounding us. He's always with us, never going to leave us as we trust Him from the depth of our heart. And let's pray that God will render the scepter of wickedness with its, its abilities to be brought down and that we see great victory in the land. Let's bow together in a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you we stand upon the only foundation that is lasting and eternal. The foundation of Jesus Christ, for there is none other. And we thank you that we can build upon that foundation with lasting materials. And a part of those materials give us peace and joy and security in a broken world. And Lord, I pray that if there's even one today that just is allowing the world to shift them and move them, that they'll get back on track and make the decision to allow you in every way through their life to be immovable, steadfast, abounding in the work of the Lord. Help us to realize that as we pick up your word, we have faith. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing from the word of God. 
And you want the just to live by faith. And we thank you that your presence is always with us. You never leave. And you're right there. And Lord, in this world in which we live, we know that we can make a difference. And we pray that you'd bring down that scepter of wickedness and allow, we pray, your righteousness to reign in the land again. So move upon us. Have your will and way in this invitation. Bring glory to your great name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.